This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show. We got a full house today as we approach the Christmas holiday. I'm Jeff Sharon. We got Eric. We got Drew. We got Kyle. Uh, Bryce is going to join us in a little bit. Uh, the cold fronts are coming through, boys, and that means we got lots of changes to talk about as the uh, as the weather switches. A lot of guys in the transfer report. We'll talk about UCF's open offensive coordinator job and speculate recklessly about that. We're going to talk about basketball. We're going to talk about. Uh, McKenna Melville being first team All-American, but this gentleman will be our bowl preview show because, well, I'm fairly certain let's get this bowl game. UCF against uh, Duke in the military bowl is going to be on a Wednesday. So we're going to be like, we're going to record this podcast next week after that. So, right. If, if, if my well, schedule is to be believed, oh, we can record between. Between. Bowl game's two it's, weeks away. Yeah. Oh, it's two weeks away. Oh, God. Like this. Well, you know, the rest of the year has flown by. How much why eggnog would, have you had? Why would this? Not I enough, apparently. Or not enough. Not, an, not, yeah. Not this enough, apparently. When you're a Giants fan in the NFL these days, you know, kind of. Still, yeah. You just, you just want to get through December alive is what you want to do. But anyway. Yes. So. Uh, here we are, UCF uh, uh, and uh, and and Duke uh, taking over in the uh, military bowl. So we'll be talking about that for a little bit as we get ready for uh, for this game. I just want to kind of set the table a little bit here for this game too before we talk about the coordinators and all that stuff. Uh, this is a uh, Duke team that comes in eight and four, uh, five and three in the ACC. They got the ACC co- head coach of the year in Mike Elko in his first season. Um, I, I okay. Overall, about the matchup, and Eric, I want to start with you. Um, is this okay? Level, uh, give me a letter grade for excitement. A, oh my God, bring on Duke. F, like I got, I I have, you know, groceries to shop for during the game. <laughs> wow. Um. So. From a selfish standpoint, I'm excited as an A because I'm benefiting from this professionally. But as a fan... Because after all, we look out for number one here. Amen to that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <laughs> who doesn't? As a fan, I would say C. So I don't know. What's the equivalent of C? Like, uh, like I'm going to be... I guess it's like I'm going to be watching, but... but... Drinking wouldn't be... I'm going to be uh, baking a pizza drinking. instead. Yeah. I mean... Unless you told me Zion Williamson was coming back and RJ okay. Barrett and we could play that. And then I, that what, jumps up. What, why, though? Because I, when I think of Duke, I think of basketball. I think of that payback, baby, for 2019. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, I feel you pushing it up to a B now. There you go. I'm not thinking about Mike Elko and football Duke. Kyle's favorite conference, by the way, the Atlantic Coast. This is a uh, this is a Duke team, by the way, that uh, beat Miami, BC, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest this year. Uh, they beat Virginia earlier this year as well. That's um, such an ACC coastal type of a resume, which we're going to miss, by the way. This is, we realize the ACC coastal is uh, RIP now after this year. So, number two in the country in turnover margin, by the way. And ACC say. fans celebrate everywhere. Drew, <laughs> uh, I give kind of like a B minus, you know, that's you know, from a 
casual fan standpoint, you know, Duke and football doesn't make you excited, but you know what? This is the end of an era from, you know, the group of five. You, got, and the you guys are such P5 fans. It's unbelievable. Eh, bowl game, whatever. That's I, hey, I've always <laughs> been in the camp. Bowl games are exhibition games. I, I've never really put as much stock in as others because it truly is an exhibition game. But, but this also to bring up the grade up a little bit, you're going to see an opportunity for some players to start seeing a little bit of playing time as a result of players that have transferred out. So you're getting a little glimpse of the future today. And that should be a little more exciting. Kyle. So I don't want to hear anything about P5 bias, but the Cure Bowl looks more interesting to me right now because it's got two ranked that, teams. Actually, the Cure, the Cure Bowl's got a good got a good match this it year. Right. I will tell you, they got they, it. Right. They had a home run. And the, and the media people they have covering that game is top of the uh, top of the notch level. Am I right, Kyle? Speak, speaking of looking at for, looking out for number one, <laughs> you know, flatter will get you everywhere. I'm true, but remember, Eric, I don't live in your district, so you can't get my vote. Listen, at the end of the day, guys, you're right. That matchup I bring up is because it's two ranked teams and, and it's a great defense. It was just a good offense, and then someone got hot later. But the punchline, enough of talking about Chip Lindsay's old coaching grounds. What I'm getting at is this, guys. Which we'll get to in a bit. The yeah, right. The see, I'm teasing it. The whole aspect of this game is is tarnished by all the high quality talent that's already dis- already decided to transfer. I'm still waiting to find out for certain if Isaiah Bowser is going to play, right? There's certain other aspects and certain other guys that could render themselves not playing because of decisions they make for their futures in their correctly looking out for number 1. Duke at the end of the day, I got to be honest and and UCF was going to get here one day if they were growing, but we're here I really think this Duke, this game is more important for Duke in the standpoint Are that... Are you it, suggesting that somebody may not care about a bowl game? I was told many years ago that's sacrilegious. Well, it is, but this it game is. is particular because, you know, it, it, it because there are already so many players we know are missing. Right. UCF may not, in fact, have its best product. Try convincing the rest of the world of that. That's going to be tough. Duke is actually a very good matchup, but the problem is as much as people commented on watching the quality of the Louisville game and of the Georgia tech game, expect a game of that ilk in tempo, but the opponent being a lot better than Georgia tech was when they came to the bounce house. So well, Georgia that, tech had checked out of that game. I think my point exactly. So yeah. with that in mind, um, you know, as far as excitement goes, this particular offense without the uh, movement and shaking of Ryan O'Keefe and then two of the top defenders, three, sorry, the top defenders being compromised as well as their ability to be on the rust roster. I'm not saying Boca Raton bowl bad against BYU a couple years back, but yeah, if you put anything above a C you're showing off. Well, I want to talk, I want, I want to talk about this a little bit because you, and, and, and I want to talk about the, the portal coming up next. Cause they, we, th- this is the big story that's going on right now, but I'll say two things and Eric's going to laugh and I know he is, or he's, he's going to be like, that's dumb, but there's two things at stake here. All right. Number one, 10 win season. Yes. All right. I think that still matters. Eric, you're shaking your head, but you're the guy who loves numerology and all that kind of crap. I mean, so to me, there's a 10 that like 10 wins. There's something about that number. That's like, I won double digits that year. 
That does okay. matter more than that. Th yeah, I mean, but that number is going to be is doesn't matter anymore with the more games being added, and especially with an expanded playoff. That's not I, true. Ten not wins true. is pretty easy. Actually. Let me say, well, easy. Oh, less uh, less than ten uh, wins is not easy. Ten wins is not easy. Sorry. This ain't, this ain't 1995 where teams only played 11 games, and you had to actually be good to win 10 games. But the other thing I think we're missing here too is part of the leap into the power of five is is doing what you can to get your buzz and your conversation into the preseason ranking. Sure. That's my second point. Actually mattered. Well, I, I apologize. That's the plus in my B plus. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, yes. I, it, listen, you're, you're, yeah. I, uh, sorry, Kyle, but I think what you're trying no, to say your is point. take it. Yeah. Okay. I will steal it back. Please. Uh, uh, the, point that I was that I was going to make was you win this game against an ACC opponent to me that always well it's it's like when Andy Seeley said right a win is better than a loss I thought that was you for one details you, you want you win that game you know you're not going into your new conference having just lost the Duke in your last bowl game you know it's like hey we finished the season with 10 wins. We beat an ACC in the ACC team in the bowl game, just like we're supposed to. Here we are. I also right? don't think, I don't think anybody will remember this game it five just, years from now. That, uh, and, who cares, um, no, who cares about five years from now? Yeah, but the point yeah. is that's like the Florida game. People will remember. Nobody's going to remember this game. And the part of the problem is you're playing the wrong team from tobacco road. Because well, brands do matter. If you're playing North Carolina in this game, and especially with the news we'll get to later, there's some intrigue there. <laughs> if it was Miami that was in this bowl game, people are interested. But it's Duke. Nobody cares. Like well, no one's giving it an A either, Eric. Let's be clear. Like who here? I care. B plus, and that's, that's an not an A. Um, but <laughs> Kyle, you brought up a good point. We still don't know how many players are going to generally play. Right. UCF starts practicing for the bowl games, from what I understand, this weekend. So we'll start. As the time goes here, we're going to start hearing more names. And let's be real. I think you are going to hear more guys that won't play in this game, right? Is that a fair assumption? I think we will have more names that probably will skip the bowl game for various I think reasons. it's possible. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll even give Drew and Jeff this much credit. If I get confirmation Isaiah's coming back to uh, take a shot to raise his NFL stock, I will take it up to a B minus. Well, why not? No, 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 stop right there. Why is that funny, Eric Lopez? No, Why it's just about no, that? it's just Drew. It's Drew. It's Drew being Drew. And they, <laughs> they, it, I just there. That's just. I thought you were. Man, if only you, if only you guys could read our chat. Right <laughs> um, no. Well, this this does take us to our next point, which is everyone's flipping out about the transfer portal. Um, as of this recording, which we hey, are I'm doing not, on Thursday, portal, Jeff. I'm glad you're back. By the way, I was, I was, well, I was never leaving. I don't know about you. you I mean, you're the, the portal, you're, the, you're the one who's always like, I don't know if I'm happy here. We need a new coordinator. He tried to. Um, he tried to attract Trace Troco without my consent. <laughs> we didn't uh, have as we record this, mid afternoon Thursday, December the fifteenth, thirteen players from this year's team. This past year, uh, from the 2022 team, I should say, have have announced that they are entering the portal, including Mikey Keene, Ryan O'Keefe, uh, Jordan Johnson, the wide receiver, Jordan Johnson, um, Joey Gatewood, running back Anthony Williams, uh, punter Andrew Osteen, and also defensive players such as Devontae Brown, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, Terrence Lewis, Phil J. Bien-Ami, uh, Travion Shadrick-Harris, 
uh, Amari Lee, who was a wide receiver or defensive back, depending upon who you asked, uh, and Carlos Bailey Vice. Um, that said, UCF has gotten two incoming transfers, Antonio Greer, two-time All-ACC second teamer with South Florida, interestingly enough, and former Edgewater High School wide receiver coming down from Alabama, Christian Leary, with two years left of eligibility. Um, I've said I keep saying this time and time again. Nobody in UCF land wants to listen, so I will repeat myself. Preach the gospel, folks. Let the portal play out. Okay, portal giveth, and the, the portal, portal giveth away, and the portal taketh away. Hallelujah, Jeff. Let it, let it taketh away. It shall giveth in due time. Praise, praise, portal. But I will say, and uh, Kyle, I want to start with you because we're going to go in reverse order now. I am feeling um, the spirit of the portal. It's okay, Jeff. I can go. He who, likes being the rare. <laughs> who's, who's, the, who's the one that, that, that leaves here that you're like, oh, man, that one hurts? Uh, O'Keefe. Definitely. Yeah. Ryan O'Keefe yep. being gone is problematic. I, I, in second place to me, but then again, you know, as much as, you know, well, I'll say, it might, might in change. fairness to Ryan, he's been here for f- all four years. Correct. He announced that he's going to Boston College to uh, reunite with uh, UCF's former wide receivers coach up at BC. I forget his name off the bat. And listen, he Darryl should. Wyatt. He Darryl should, Wyatt, thank you. Yeah, he he should be able to shred the inferior competition of that conference. But with all that in mind, that's right. I said it. There's that shot at the ACC. I know wow. Eric Lopez was looking for. With that in mind. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, for me, that's the biggest shot to the offense because over and above his ability to to burn people down the field, he had other aspects in his game. He could be part of the run game as well. Incredibly versatile despite his size. Excellent team leading presence too. You know, uh, uh, it's the, the problem with becoming a team that's so obviously run first is that good receivers will start to shy away. And Ryan O'Keefe is the first among uh, that list, I think, that's problematic. It's funny. I, I was just at the uh, the, the uh, press conference for the Cure Bowl, and both coaches uh, from Troy and UTSA, so I'm, I'm mentioning this as a kind of a universal concept. Cheap that plug. What's that? Cheap plug. What? I didn't mention the three-point conversion until you just said that. Anyways, but the um... – <laughs> no, but with, with all of that in mind, like – I I feel like that's something we're not talking enough about is the recruitment process within a school's building. How well is Gus doing with that? I, and that's a separate question, obviously. Drew? Uh, well, you know, on offense, obviously, Ryan is, is the biggest loss. Uh, my overall, and I said it last time, mm-hmm. and I'm still riding with it, and most because of the collateral damage around there, is, is Devontae Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at that defensive backfield, it's taken a lot of hits. Uh, Newt Wilson, who was, you know, the other top end defensive back declaring yeah. for the NFL draft. I, mean, I was going to say, we should mention he's, he's, he is the Newt is declaring for the NFL draft. Yeah. And he will be playing at the, at the hula bowl at, at UCF in January amongst a bunch of other nights. Uh, but considering how bad that position group is, as far as their condition at this point, uh, that's the biggest loss because you look at wide receivers. Wide receivers are, are in good shape even without Ryan. Obviously, Ryan's hard to replace, but it's not like the uh, unit is not doing well. It's not healthy. Uh, you still have some really good players there that that can pick up the slack and, and can learn and grow in. Like we're seeing Xavier Townsend's going to be a rock star. He's just growing into the role. 
uh, you know, you look at linebacker. They just brought in Antonio Greer, who's who is a very good linebacker. He just played for a bad team. Uh, you know, that's a big thing. Hmm. Uh, was pretty good for that team, I should say. Yeah, you know, he he, you know, you, you don't get on the all eight, you know, all American, all A A C team, uh, even in the second unit. For, can can for, I say for, for a second? Good. It is so freaking annoying with the American, like, cause like they, they rope you, they almost rope you into saying you're an all American. Yeah. And I almost said, it's like, you know, at that point you have to say all American athletic conference. It, 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 <sighs> it does not roll off the tongue. At it's all. a trap. It is a trap. Uh, but it, it, the defensive backfield real quick, the defensive backfield hasn't had very good luck as far as pulling in guys from the portal. And so I, I think that's right now the biggest overall loss from where you've been to where you're going at this juncture. Eric, what do you think? I agree with Drew. I think everything he makes a valid point. I think wide receivers is an easier position to find. I don't think Ryan O'Keefe was going to be successful here as long as John Rice Plumley is the quarterback. I think that got proven out on the field. I actually think Ryan O'Keefe is a little overrated. Uh, and I think he could be Jalen Robinson 2.0. How did Jalen Robinson do at Ole Miss last year? Five yeah. catches. Yeah. I not think so some, good, Bob. Not so great. And I'm not, not, you know, I'm great, not saying, Bob. We'll see how he does. <laughs> now he's going to be at Boston College. Uh, Daryl Wyatt, obviously the old wide receiver coach is there. And that might go well. My, my concern with him is who the heck's going to be throwing the ball at Boston College. I don't think they've had a good quarterback there since Matt Ryan. Uh, plus, it gets a little cold out there the, the second half of the year <laughs> at Chestnut Hill. Um, I think Brown's harder. The secondary. I mean, Brown, I mean, and he was a guy that was not a four-year guy. He would, you know, I think you you were hoping he would have another year or two under his belt. Um, I do worry about the secondary and how you can fix that in a quick dime, especially when you're going into the Big 12, which is uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on the secondaries when you get into the Big 12. Well, the Big 12 is where defenses go to die. Pretty much. Correct. The only, the only thing I would push back on, Elo, in your assessment is Ryan O'Keefe had a lot more dimensions to his game than run real fast. That's all Jalen Robinson can do, and that's what got exposed when he went to the next. Uh, Touche. I, I agree with that. That's fair. Uh, but uh, yeah, the only knock on Ryan was the fact he was a little undersized, but right. he played bigger than he was. Correct. Right. You know, let's let's not let's not you know uh, dunk on what he's done. Uh, he's he's accomplished a lot, and yeah, this offense really isn't built for him, but he adapted, and, and you got to give him credit for that. Yeah. Well, he was instrumental in in. in keeping the offense afloat when Dylan Gabriel went down and Mikey Keene took over because the game plan immediately shifted to, okay, we have to find the way to get the ball to Ryan O'Keefe because well, he was our it. best way. And he, he was, was it. it. Remember, right. Jalen Robinson was hurt. Right. Uh, so, Which I mean, it was, he it was benefited from that injury. Pack of crackers. He benefited from the injury. And you look at this year, it was really Baker and Kobe Hudson when Kobe Hudson was on the field. I mean, my point is, I think it's easier to replace a receiver. I think there's so many receivers out there that will come in and we'll see what they bring in. Now, is it a guarantee? No, and not. And that can certainly backfire, Kyle, to your point. Where Kyle is shaking leadership, his head. There's <laughs> off-the-field leadership involved. I mean, and I, I'm a little, again, I'm going to have to express my disappointment in Drew for not making this point. You're spending wow. too much time talking about defense. Guys, mate, can we please think about the reason Hudson and Walker were getting, were getting looks is because if you're game planning this offense, you know you're looking at O'Key first because he can do more stuff. 
So obviously it's going to create some one-on-ones and some openings and listen, Gus and his offense, you know, he wrote a book. He's a good offensive coach, contrary to what certain elements of UCF alleged fanhood populace might think, you know, he's that they took advantage of that and, and, you know, bless him for it. I will say I, I, the two biggest losses to me right off the bat were the headliners, obviously O'Keefe. And then I can't believe none of you said Jeremiah Jean Baptiste. Um, I but second, okay. But I will say that the fact that UCF was able to bring in two guys immediately at those positions mm-hmm. bodes well and leads me to think that, at least as of right now, yeah, I would say Devontae Brown. And for a, a point, uh, and really the reason why is, is the good point that Eric made, he has two years of eligibility left. And what's um, the What's the portion of the of either defense or offense that has been the most struggled to recruit? It's that beef bringing in my mind more value to Baptiste's departure than the the, uh, the defensive back. Yeah, but the fact that they were able to pull in um, Antonio Greer from South Florida yes. uh, and Christian Leary from Alabama, and Leary is a is a home is a homegrown kid. He's you he went to Edgewater High School, so. Um, Definitely, I think that softens the blow in particular. But now one blow that definitely needs to be softened, and this is where we begin to speculate recklessly, actually broke earlier today. Uh, Chip Lindsey, the co-offensive coordinator for UCF uh, and quarterbacks coach, has left to take that position at North Carolina. So here we are with uh, with a uh, without an offensive coordinator. Now, there are... This is where the Speculatron really hops on board. We were doing research a little bit earlier on the names of what's turned out to be a rather, listen, Gus's coaching tree extends everywhere. I mean, it's like St. Augustine grass, man. He's, he's had his, he's, he's coached alongside a lot of people. It's It's really amazing when you look at it. Yeah. Not a tree. Yeah. Yeah, It's a, it's a forest. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's a full blown forest, but. Um, I want to bring Bryson in real quick because, you know, Bryson, you were throwing, you, you know, you and I were throwing around and, and Eric and Kyle, some, some names here and there, and we're going to be pushing these up on the, uh, on the site, black and gold banner.com. But, you know, there's uh, obviously Herb hand internally uh, is a potential candidate, the offensive line coach. Um, uh, who else do we have in mind that we were, that we were thinking of here? Well, one more internal candidate we have is a running backs coach and still titled as a co-offensive coordinator when he joined the staff with G.J. Kinney, Tim Harris Jr. Mm-hmm. He's been the running backs coach and he was originally a co-OC with G.J. Kinney. And, you know, the running game has been really good lately. So that's another option from within. As far as external candidates go, uh, we could we might maybe we could see a repeat of when he hired this guy after he was finished his head coach after he was fired as the head coach of Auburn are Chad Morris Chad Morris is currently the head coach uh, currently the offensive analyst at USF and so he could potentially be a hire for the offensive coordinator position again if we want to think about what a John Rice Plumley led offense could do Back in 2019, John Rice Plumley blossomed under the under the watch of offensive coordinator at Ole Miss at the time, Rich Rodriguez, former West Virginia and Michigan head coach. Interestingly oh, enough, boy, boy that would that would be a fun name, wouldn't it? This is it trouble would. we don't need. <laughs> uh, I want to go through some of Jacksonville State. Yeah, right. I, I, I want to go through a couple other names here. Del McGee, uh, 
coached under Gus uh, and is the running backs coach at the University of Georgia. Um, some of the names who have passed through uh, his watchful eye, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, Sony Michelle. Um, those guys are pretty good at football. Ryan Applin, who was the quarterback uh, for Gus at Arkansas State, has gone into coaching, pass game coordinator at Georgia Southern. A really interesting name, I think, Jonathan Wallace, who's the running backs coach at Kansas under uh, under uh, 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 Drew's favorite uh, coach in the whole wide world, Lance Leipold. Um, he was at Bethel College and Air Force previously, um, and was uh, and, and was also at Auburn from 2013 to 2015. Bobby Bentley, who uh, I think I've heard is pretty good friends with Gus, who uh, coached just recently, who was coaching just recently at South Florida. Damian Craig, uh, who played quarterback at Auburn and later coached at Auburn under Gus as well, might be a name that that could that could pop up. Um, Twitter wants desperately. You know, they see offensive coordinator and they think, oh, let's bring Scott Frost back. And they see quarterbacks coach and they're like, let's bring KZ in there. I'm like, I mean, How about no? all due respect, How about no? due respect to both of those gentlemen. I don't think they're probably going to be overly high up on the list as of right now and probably have some other things that they would want to attend to in the meantime, rather than work 120 hours a week. Once again, so, um, you know, I'm just saying, don't be disappointed if neither of them end up getting the nod, although, boy, that would be interesting if either of them did. I will start with um, Jeff, like, isn't it better just to say not yet? Like, isn't like, it? Yeah, like, let's just let's. Yeah, yeah, I don't just, think either are interested at this juncture. No, they're not. But Drew, I'll start with you since I didn't start with you in the previous two questions. Um, we are now. Who, who would you like to see as the next offensive coordinator or co-offensive coordinator or whatever it is offensive coordinator at UCF to replace Chip Lindsay? Well, uh, when, when this came up last year, uh, one of the names that, that I threw around was Damian Craig. And, and I think that is still a very uh, intriguing name. He has, you know, a relationship with Gus Melzahn knows what he likes to do. And, and I think that would be, would lead to a, a, a smoother transition, you know, Chip Lindsay obviously knows the style that Gus Melzahn likes to run, which is why he was brought in. I, I think continuity is important. And I think you get better continuity by bringing in someone a little more familiar. Plus he's due for a promotion. You know, he's, he's a positional coach at, at Texas A&M. Things have been a little rough there. This gets him up to offensive coordinator as we've seen. In get off of Jimbo Fisher sinking ship immediately. Yeah. Well, I'm serious. <laughs> Things are not going well there. But as weighed Bryson, down by his buyout, anyway, <laughs> as Bryson mentioned earlier today, you know, UCF actually is a pretty good stepping stone for offensive coordinator jobs to move elsewhere and move on up. This would be There's a no good spot for him. There's no precedent for that, Drew. Where have you seen that happen before? I know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, Eric, I'm with Drew. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because here's the thing Gus is going to call the plays. So that's why. While everybody gets excited about the offensive coordinator position, I personally don't think it's as big of a deal because Gus is going to call his plays. It's his offense. So he's going to bring somebody in that knows that system, and Craig makes a lot of sense in that regard. Somebody like that, you know, if, if, if there's going to be a coordinator that wants to call plays, he's not coming here. So I, I like the Craig move personally. I think if you're Damian Craig, I would get out of the A&M deal. You could come here. 
get a few start. I, that's definitely a, a choice. Uh, I would tend to agree with Drew on that. I'm assuming, of course, that Drew and Kyle will turn down the job first because I think they should be at the top of the list personally. Well, um, okay, let me ask you a quick, Kyle. I'm sorry, but I want to get to this because I want to see what you think about this. Yeah, yeah. The whole Gus calling his plays thing it, it is kind of um, it's it, it seems to be a sticking point here, right? Is there, do you see a situation where Gus would be like, would maybe delegate that? No, why not? Not yet. He said so he said so. I mean, when he came here, he said he wishes he didn't give up play calling at Auburn. I Fair. Don't see yeah, him you're changing right. That again. He was forced think, into it. And some coaches. And it didn't, that. and it didn't go so well for, no. yeah, at Auburn. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. With Chad Morris, which is why I don't see Chad Morris being the, uh, the answer here necessarily. So I, I, I would be stunned if Gus gave up play calling because he's, he's talked about it since he's been here, how much he enjoys that aspect of the game. Uh, and so I, I just would be stunned. And I do think because of that, I don't, you know, it, it will take out some of the candidates to some extent, but Gus has such a big tree that I don't think it's as big of a loss as far as you're not. Yeah, you might lose some names, but you still have a ton of names he's going to pick from. Because at the end of the day, he's going to pick somebody he's familiar with. Kyle, give me a name that's not Damian Craig. I mean, I don't know why, for my money, based on the point which Eric made that's awesome, by the way, like I don't see how this goes outside the house. I, I really think Herb Hand is a legit, the most legit candidate. If or not, Coach Harris. Or Coach Harris, who or has Tim. the OC yeah. title already I built. Marshall, I meant Harris, yes, thank you. Um, Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, well, and see, here's the thing. The reason why I think it's Herb Hand over a Tim Harris is when Tim Harris would, in my mind at least, thinking thinking more like an offensive lineman here, right? Um, a, a guy looking for a promotion on that front would be trying to do so to call his own place somewhere too, to evolve to that point, right? With Herb, I get less of that feeling. I think he likes getting his hands dirty in the preparation side and then, you know, working to game day more than he necessarily seeks calling the plays himself. Obviously I, 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 I can't confirm that, that, that we got our speculation hat on as Jeff warns, but th that's a lot of why I'm in their herb hand uh, camp for this right now is, is simply to that point of it would make sense. It's a fit with what's going on that you could continue the momentum very easily, which Gus has not had a chance to do in terms of changing offensive personnel, at least. Right. So with all that in mind, and not the without the worry of the whole play calling piece. I, I that's where I am, you know. Well, let me ask you guys this: Let's say it's Harris or Ham that gets promoted. Does that open the door for Casey to be the quarterback coach only? Because at that point, one of the reasons I like Craig, I don't know if Drew likes Craig for this reason. I mean, Damian Craig would obviously coach the quarterbacks and you know be part of the offense. That's kind of the missile. But in this scenario, if you have Harris or Ham promoted. Who's to say you don't bring McKenzie? Who's already around the program? He said on these airwaves, Jeffrey, to us mm -hmm. that he Jeffrey. would be interested in being a coach down the road. This would isn't that... very far down the road, though. But who's to say that now wouldn't be the right time? Timing is everything. I mean, and I'm only saying this if Kyle's uh, choice of a Harris or uh, Hand get promoted, because you still need to find somebody to, to coach the quarterbacks. Here's the thing, though, and here we are planning out Mackenzie Milton's future uh, mm -hmm. without without his without his input. Um, to go from not coaching to a quarterback coach at a Big Twelve school with no coaching experience before, 
like no formal coaching experience, I should say. That's a big, that's a big jump. Now, if anybody can do that, it's McKenzie, right? But usually you see, look at all these guys' resumes, right? You usually see like grad assistant here, grad assistant here, you know, quarterbacks coach at like a D2 school, quarterbacks coach at, you know, McNeese State, quarterbacks, and then quarterbacks coach at Auburn or Arkansas State or wherever Gus was at the time. Um, KZ would be jumping in cold. And like, you, we all know, coaching is a grind in college. It is a, it, 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 to quote uh, Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire, it is an up at dawn, pride swallowing siege that we will, that they will never fully tell us about, right? So, I, I mean, if Hazy, I think he really wants to get into it, I, and nobody knows the path better than he would, I think it probably wouldn't start as a quarterback's coach at UCF. It would start as like a graduate assistant, the right? Only, the only pushback I would give to that, Jeff, if, if, I'm, if I'm McKenzie's agent and I'm trying to interview and campaign for this opportunity, which we don't know he is, to your point, we're planning out his life. Um, I think the years of him essentially coaching Dylan Gabriel that year should be commensurate with having a year of experience as a quarterback. Some would argue he already did the grad coach position when he was out to your point. Fair point. That's a great point. That's a good point. Gabriel. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you th- right, before we wrap this up, do we think that Gus is going to make this, this move quick or what? He would have to. Sooner than later. Yeah. Like right, before the bowl I- game or after? I think I'm, before the bowl game. I think before the bowl game, right? I right. think before. Yeah. Okay. I think you want to have somebody in place by signing day. Yeah. Lynn's, I would imagine that he's got that he's got to have some. You know, he's he probably already has his list in mind. Like all these coaches have their, to use a really antiquated term, Rolodex, right? You know, of guys who they they're, they're going to call, you know, or right off the bat, and then it's just a question of you ready to do it? No, not yet. Okay, cool. What about this guy? You know, and uh, and so on and so forth. So it's not like there's I, we. One thing we know for sure is Gus is not starting from scratch. Yeah, he's so, making phone calls as we speak. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, no, I think he's already made the phone calls. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll break news. That ringing earlier about the holiday music—that was my phone. I think it was Gus actually calling me for for a ref- recommendation on Drew and Kyle. I was, was going to say, oh, Eric, if he's if he's calling you, man, boy, no, no, this, I'm, this, the, I'm the ref- I'm the reference guy. I, I well, I was if he was calling you for the job, like we're in bad shape, man. No, I they wanted reference on Kyle and Drew, and I sent good stuff. I sent all of Drew's knee jerk reaction columns. Uh, you know, you guys should be good. You should get a phone call. Jeez Louise. All right. Um, we're going to actually, we're going to, uh, Drew says he wants to get out of here because he doesn't want to talk about basketball for some reason. I don't know why basketball is more fun anyway, but we, we get back. We're, it's relatively abbreviated show here for the holidays. We get back. We're going to talk women's hoops. We're going to talk men's hoops who blasted old miss last in Oxford. That was fun to watch. And some volleyball news before we wrap it up on this relatively short show. Here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. You can find Drew on Twitter at StatBoyDrew. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so when we come back, the other four of us will continue the party with Adam because he's no fun. All right, he's stick really around. I, I, get, I got just, other important interview. work yeah. that needs to be done for the safety of us all. Oh, I, air quote important when he says that, please. When, I, when we it's say important, important work. Are, are you are you updating your resume to be the next offensive quality control coach at UCF? I cannot confirm nor deny. 
Yeah. Or, or are you going to Bethel College or something like that? He's, he's working. Uh, there's, a, there's a spot open at Podunk University out in Kansas. <laughs> Podunk. There is no such thing as Podunk. It's, it's funnier if you come up with a real university, Drew. Come on. Well, I mean, I could have said, has hey, Kyle I'm not be the offensive analyst. Punchlines. I could be, I, I'm going to be the offensive analyst for the smart guys at Case Western Reserve University. I thought you were going to go to Wasamata U. I set you guys up. And, <laughs> and you gave me grief for Poda. Get, get me out of here. All right, stick around. I'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Bannerhead Podcast. All right, we are back. It's Jeff and Eric, along with Kyle and Bryson, and we are going to talk some hoops and some volleyball here in this relatively short show. We don't want to take up too much of your time here in this holiday. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should. Like everyone was like, "Oh man, this your podcast got us through two hours of our drive on Thanksgiving weekend the other week." I was like, "So on behalf of all of us, you're welcome." Um, let's start with men's hoops here, because uh, boy, did they take it to the Ole Miss Rebels! In Oxford on uh, Wednesday night, Eric Lopez and Kyle Nash, 72-61 the final, but UCF jumped out to a 21-0 lead in this game. Now, Ole Miss came back, made it a game. It is their home floor. They got guys on scholarship too, you know. But uh, the highlights, uh, four guys in double figures, C.J. Kelly with 20 to lead UCF and nine rebounds, uh, eight of 10 from the floor. He hit three of four from three-point range. He was outstanding. Taylor Hendricks, who has never not won the Freshman of the Week award in the American in his entire career. Uh, five, ele- uh, five of 11, six of six at the line, which I like to see. 17 points and seven rebounds, three blocks. Thank you. Uh, 11 from uh, Ithiel Horton, who just continues to score points rather quietly. Darius Johnson had a rough night from the field, four of 17, but still came up with 10 points uh, to go with three assists. Uh uh, eight and seven from uh, Michael Durr also. Um, mostly just these guys, right? Because the other the other five guys who, or the other four guys who played didn't play any more than about 11 minutes and didn't really contribute too much in terms of uh, in, in terms of shooting. But um, this is a pretty surprising, I think, a start to this game against uh, an old Miss team that uh, well, I mean, I haven't I haven't checked where they are in the SEC, to be honest with you. But um, but Kyle, I want to start with you. This was it, it. I'm always a big fan of like road wins whenever they happen, right? Sure, sure. I don't I don't care if it's against the Power Five opponent or not. Like it's hard to win on the road in college basketball, and oh, to do right. it the way UCF did, that showed me something. It's. I think it's the aspect that it was pretty dominant in the way that it occurred, right? You know, and, and listen, let's give credit to the hallmark there. You know that 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 uh, Coach Dawkins always looked for defense. Holding this group below seventy is a solid performance on that front. I feel like they did a good job hitting the free throws they did get. You know, which in some games was was uh, was slightly problematic. But you you said it best. C.J. Kelly doing amazing things, and I have to say, it was funny. Somebody asked him after the FSU game what he can work on to make his game better. And he said, I expect myself to get more rebounds. I'm an oversized guard. And he gets nine on the road against an SEC team. The young man's doing his thing. What can we say on that front? Uh, and, and you know, C.J. Kelly, I've been thoroughly impressed with. I didn't know a lot about him coming in, I'll grant. But I loved the, the leadership language 
he gave to me when I spoke to him at, at Hoops Media Day, and he's continued to show himself not only, you know, a leader when he hitting big shots when they were needed, you know, including an overtime uh, field goal. I believe that might have been only one of two field goals uh, UCF made in that overtime. The rest were free throws. Um, but coming up in big moments like that, providing that extra push when there's struggles elsewhere, coming off the bench at times doing it. He started this game, obviously. But, I mean, C.J. Kelly has been a heck of a story. It's going to happen that you might get overshadowed by a Taylor Hendricks. I mean, I'm severely disappointed. He actually missed more than one shot in this game and scored below 20 points. Cut him. But uh, no, joking aside, you he's know, joking. You guys, t- he's joking, Taylor. Don't listen to it's Kyle. It's a joke. Listen, we we have last we'll all the cut time Kyle before we before that happens. Don't That's worry. probably fair. I would accept that humbly. But um, you you know, you mentioned the other minutes um for for the big men. You know, Brandon Suggs, Lehat Tune, only getting eleven minutes um uh, uh themselves as big men. Listen, when you have Taylor Hendricks and C.J. Kelly, and they're hot as guys who you could plug in basically anywhere in the front court uh, in Hendricks's case and in uh, CJ's case, anything three or higher, he could basically play anywhere on the entire backcourt. You got versatile guys like that. Some guys that are specialized in a particular area of the court are going to take a seat to let the guys with the hot hand rock and roll. I see what happened there. Eric, you broke this thing down on the site, which uh, you can check out right now, but a uh, couple things I wanted to point out too on this. UCF's numbers, and this is defensive numbers, 24th in the country in scoring defense, giving up just 60.4 points per game, mm-hmm. uh, 27th in the country in field goal percentage defense, 38.2%, and they're doing a really good, you know, we always talk about Eric Wright, live by the three, die by the three. Well, UCF is killing a lot of teams uh, at the three because they're 17th in the country in three-point percentage defense. That's three-point percentage allowed, just 27.3%. What, t- what that tells me is we heard a lot last year about why are they switching so much, right? They, Johnny likes to play a switching sort of NBA-style defense. It's working. <laughs> These guys switch, and they switch quick, and you just don't get open looks against them. Correct. And, it, like, for example, Taylor Hendricks, we focus a lot about his offensive production, but his defense has to be brought up because he's part of that. He can guard so many different guys defensively, mm. and that's what they do. That's what their identity is. And to me, the Ole Miss win is their biggest win of the year. Uh, they were inside the top 60 RPI in the net rankings. Yeah, 58. This is actually, according to the net, because this is part of the criteria they use for the picking to select the 68 teams in the field. This is right now going to go down as a quad one win. A nice. road game against a team in the top 75 net usually gets you a quad win. So this is huge, huge win against an Ole Miss team that played, uh, got to the championship game of the ESPN Disney tournament, and by many experts project to make the field in the SEC, from the SEC. So this is a big win on the road. C.J. Kelly, 20 points, 16 of those 20 came in the second half, and they were huge baskets. Because Ole Miss, as you mentioned, Jeff, made runs. They cut it down to four at one point. You're thinking, oh, my goodness. And what do we say the mm-hmm. last couple of years? Like, oh, this team just can't close. Who's going to close the game? Certain, certain people didn't, you know, would not show up in a half or struggle. CJ Kelly kept burying shots from the perimeter. Yeah, he was relentless. And he had great big rebounds. And Taylor Hendricks, his greatness, 
scoring 11 of 17 in the second half. He knows the big moments in games. He's learning that quickly. Uh, I'll tell you something, man. I don't know what the ceiling is for this team, but I do know this. They're a better team than the last couple of years. Better defensively, and I think the pieces fit better on this team. They have more depth. Johnny Dawkins has told me this is the deepest uh, roster he's had from a front, especially in the front court. I mean, Mike remember they were saying that about last year's team. Yeah, and it turns out this year's team with all the newcomers is the deeper team, right? Because Michael Durr was tremendous at that twenty-one nothing start in that against Ole Miss. By the way, those first nine minutes of UCF game against Ole Miss, I wrote this on BlackAndGoldBanneret.com right now, Kyle. Bing. Thank you. in my 20-plus years of following UCF basketball as a student, fan, and media, that's the best nine-minute stretch I've ever seen any UCF basketball team ever play. Ever. Even over Michigan. Offense and defense. You don't see teams scoring 21 nothing in the first nine minutes. I'm just posing the question, Eric Lopez. Like, no one like, said you were wrong. Now, the, the Michigan game, to your point, that's the greatest shooting uh, performance I've ever seen from a UCF team. To, to, to credit to them, uh, that was the highlight of last season, to your point. But this team did it on both sides of the, of the court. Mm-hmm. Offensively, they were efficient, 21 points. Defensively, they forced in Ole Miss to eight turnovers and shut them out to the point where, as ridiculous as it sounds, there were times during that nine-minute stretch where I'm thinking, are they not going to let them score the whole night? Like, it was <laughs> that good defensively against a good team at Ole Miss is always good at home. And, and credit to them, because Jeff made, made a point. Ole Miss made a run, as they all say. Everybody makes a run in basketball. And I wondered, how is this team going to answer that? And they did. And I think this team has closers. Darius Johnson showed he can close earlier in the year. I think Kelly has shown now he's proven to be a clutch yeah. guy who can close in big moments. I think Taylor Hendricks can close. They have guys they can go to down the stretch when they can get buckets. That's one of the developments here is they're trying to figure out who they are. And now as they go to against Missouri on Sunrise, I think they're playing with house money. I was hoping for a split this week. If they can go to Sunrise and beat a Missouri team that's 9-1, mm-hmm. and one, and then you got Stetson next week at home, you have a chance to go 10-2 and two going into conference play. That would be a huge success. I, nobody would have predicted them to go 10-2 and two non-conference. Eric, I love the way you frame that before Bryson jumps in. You, you asked about the question last year being, Who's going to close? Now you have to reframe the question in a different tense. Who's going to close? They have so many options with which to do it. You could use the same question. The tense has changed. I think the biggest thing that I've seen with this men's basketball team is that one thing the team didn't have last year that it does now is consistency. Because last year, Brandon Mayhan, Darren Green, you know, Darius Perry, they were talented players. Don't get me wrong. I mean, mean, the Michigan game wouldn't have happened if they weren't. But (laughs) this... But th- this team does it in a much more consistent basis. For one, Taylor Hand Hendricks is just consistently good every single time out on the court. But what really works is also that you have C.J. Kelly and Ithiel Horton and Ber- Mike- Michael Durr, like even if and Jalen Young, even if one of them maybe has a down game, you have another one of them that has a good game that can help back up Taylor Hendricks, so he's not alone out there with the with a good points performance. And can't we just, by the way? Remember, Taylor Hendricks is a freshman. C.J. Kelly is transfers. Imagine how good of a recruiting season Johnny Dawkins must have been having over the last couple of seasons as he was getting all of these players in around that same recruiting period. I mean, Darius, the fact that Darius uh. Johnson 
at, funny. As a, the, <laughs> really? You don't say. Been the primary score hasn't been the primary score or as playing as big of a role as he has, and yet this team has gotten off to the start of it as it has. That's been a, that's amazing to me that Darius Johnson oh, yeah. be step back, and they're still doing this. Really, Bryson? You don't say. Johnny Dawkins knows how to recruit, huh? Ain't that something? Well, I mean, at one time, I mean, all because I've been reading all over the place that you know, for like a few years, like, oh, can Johnny Dawkins recruit? Turns out, yes, I guess. I think we can say that now, Bryson. Remember what we were defining Johnny Dawkins basketball? What uh, what that was last year, and that the Michigan game wasn't that right. We expect good defense from a Johnny Dawkins team, right? If it's going well, we expect multiple contributors in double digits, not just twenty point scorers, like, but twenty point scorers in addition to distributed ball. A guy with four for seventeen still scores seven or still scores ten points. DJ, my man, you know, so when he runs the offense, more importantly, what doesn't show up in the box score is he can run the offense, make the right decision where well, the offense is going. That's fair. But listen, let's take nothing away from Jalen Young. I don't want to no, no, no. find a point on that. But the punchline is, yes, this is what Johnny Dawkins basketball is supposed to look like. Well, it's gotten back to its identity, which is defense. That's how they got to the NCAAs in 19. That's how they made the run to the NIT Final Four was defense. Quite frankly, we haven't seen that consistency on defense the previous last couple of years, a few years for various We're seeing it now. We're seeing it now. (laughs) And again, look, they have a better resume right now than they did last year. You mentioned the Michigan win, Kyle. That was really their only quality, you know, key win resume-wise. Miami, Miami, Miami obviously turned into a resume quality win. This team's got wins over Oak State in a neutral court, and they got a win on the road against Ole Miss. Now they have an opportunity against Missouri. And you look at the American, Houston and Memphis are the clear-cut teams in the American. But there's a lot of questions after that. Well, that's what I want to get to next is this Mizzou game because this is the biggest test of that defense that UCF has faced yet. Mizzou comes into this game, like you said, Eric, night and when they're actually coming off their most recent loss um, uh, against Kansas, where Kansas actually held them to a season-low 67 points. But um, Mizzou this year is number three in the country in scoring, 90 points a game. Uh, seventh in field goal percentage, they're shooting over 50% as a team. They shoot a lot of threes, 28 a game. That's uh, 18th in the country. Uh, and they force a lot of turnovers. So they're a really up-tempo team. They force 20 turnovers a game. That's fifth in the country. Um, in their wins, they have scored no fewer than 82 points. Uh, and, and, and and they're also a little ticked off after having lost to Kansas, I must say, probably, uh, but this game is effectively a neutral site game, but it's down in sunrise, all the South Florida, the actual South Florida UCF people are going to be at this game down and down at sunrise, uh, not far from our old stomping grounds, but, um, this is, this is the big test here, right? So Kyle, I want to go with you, you know, what do we got to see here? Because this is, this is, uh, this is This, this matchup is looking like the unstoppable force meets the immovable object here. No, I think that's a great analysis on the surface there too. And what I would want to see if I'm a UCF fan is I would remember the de- defense from the Samford game. Yes. I understand. Oh, but they're only mid Whatever. Fine. It was an overtime game with a team that could shoot the ball with 82. Is that what people say? 
Well, according to South Park. Anyway, okay. but, but um, you asked, I answered, Chad. So with all that in mind, like that's a group that was coming in shooting with great proliferation, right? 82.4, something like that points a game themselves, right? They're chucking it from the cheap seats and they're making you pay. That rotation defense, that movement on defense that you were talking about, Jeff, n- again, taking nothing from that Ole Miss win because Eric portrayed it well on the Black and Banneret. Uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com in his story with all of that in mind it's going to be that defense that i'm going to want to see for that samford game where the samford game went wrong was kind of the lack of discipline that high tempo is what i get worried about when this offense starts to get a little out of control because they're trying to push the tempo that hard that's when you see that turnover number go up that johnny dawkins hates to see that being said I think Darius Johnson has had enough time to find his sea legs, as coach puts it, to where running at that high tempo is something that's going to be a bit easier to do. Let them make the mistake of focusing on Taylor Hendricks. Someone else will burn him. You know, read and react. Take what the defense gives you in that instance. And I think DJ can do that. Defensively, you got to see that movement. If you look at the tape uh, from the Samford game, that rotation and what they pulled off, being able to move, there would be a fifth pass, and they'd still have a hand in someone's face for that shot. Samford? Samford, yes. yes. Yeah. Eric, uh, th- this is going to be – yeah, I, I, th- I do like Kyle's analogy about how, you know, Samford picked up the pace on UCF a little bit, and they did – catch us off balance a few times in that game. Well, I, I mean, look, Dennis Gates is the first-year head coach at Missouri, came over from Cleveland State, where they made the NCAA two years ago, and then at NIT, was an assistant under Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. Prior to that, he likes to go up-tempo. Uh, so, yes, he's going to try to put pressure on UCF. UCF's going to have to protect the basketball. So, it's going to be interesting in his first year. Missouri's got good athletes. Kind of a noon tip in Sunrise. By the way, it's good to see UCF playing in Sunrise. They've kind of not been able to accomplish that the last couple of years. Yeah, they couldn't do it because of COVID, right? They were supposed to play in this tournament twice, I think. Yeah, it's been scrapped a couple of times. So so it's going to be interesting in Sunrise, neutral court, another opportunity for UCF. Can they add to this non-conference resume? And then you've got tricky game at home at Stetson and Donnie Jones, who's had a nice season with the Hatters, uh, picking up a win over FSU as well. So a couple of games before conference play starts, December 28th. Conference is right here, boys. Wichita State comes here December 28th, the same day as the bowl game. <clears throat> My voice is getting ready for that game. Kyle, your voice, you're getting ready for that, right, Kyle? <laughs> Aren't we all? Thank you. So this is important next couple of games before conference play starts. But this team has put it themselves in a nice position here, potentially. They can finish this off strongly. We have Missouri and Stetson uh, to have some momentum going into league play. But you can just sense it. Jeff, you've been on the court during the home games, I, you know, I've been on the court there two couple games. Kyle, you've been up there as well. You can just sense a different uh, energy about this group. There's a, there's a, I, I just, there's no words to put it, but you, you can always tell when you're around teams, there's just a certain chemistry that you can't force. It's either there or it's not. And it's not anything negative or whatever. It's just. This team teams... feels like it's having fun. That's how yes. I put it. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good they, word. Yeah, they, they look like they, they have fun. They look like they enjoy playing together. Like, right. I mean, I, here we go with the body the body language, Doctor, right? But, like, <laughs> I, I from where I sit, okay, when there's a dead ball 
when they come over to the bench after, you know, for a timeout or like right before a free throw, that little, mo- there's that little moment where the team kind of gets together in like a little huddle. I always see these guys walking together. Right. And it's, it, and it was something I noticed like the last couple of years, they all kind of like walked separately to the bench. You know, this group is much more in tune with each other chemistry wise. And I think the other thing too, that I really enjoy is like, that I really en- have enjoyed seeing is, they're unflapping, right? They, they don't seem to get eaten up by big moments, um, which is really something to see for a bunch of guys who are new playing together, including, you know, one of your key players as a freshman. But Well, part of it um, is that a lot of these guys have been thrown to the fire because they've had injuries to deal with. Darius Johnson yeah. missed the beginning of the year. C.J. Walker was right now currently banged up, right, Kyle? He's, we, we still yeah. don't know his status. He's um, still he's still recovering, even though he's played some games. I can't right. give enough praise to Jalen Young to the point you're making, man. The JUCO transfer having to pick up and run this offense as efficiently as he has and scoring like a madman when the time is called for it, man. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lot point. of depth. And I think the UNC Asheville game, right, the double overtime game, they were shorthanded. I know they lost that game. I think that helped them in the long run because they're. I mean, they were. I mean, they were literally shorthanded. The players would to, agree with you, Elo. They told me that. They've told, okay, well, there you go. See, I didn't know you were tight with them. What did, expand on that, what they said, because I do think at a, an adverse situation like that, I know it was a loss. People were, like, stunned. But I think that they grew from that because they all had to realize, like, we had to step up. Expand on that, what they told you. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Hedrick said that very thing. It's like, yeah, I, you know, when I asked him if the previous overtime games and stuff helped to win against Samford, for example, another – um, you know, in itself, overtime game, he's like, yeah, he, he, he didn't elaborate too much, obviously, but I think the point he made of we had just seen it before. So it started to feel more normal is everything. You're right. Uh, if, if it's just that simple as there's no tension. And I mentioned, you know, when they push the tempo, how it has gone wrong at times because they're still getting used to that, you know, anything that can make it seem more routine is is a good thing from a, a, a mentality standpoint hmm. um all right so we have that game coming up uh against mizzou and i hope a um, lot of people just and, kind of embrace this team by the way i think this team needs to be embraced. Yeah. look i don't know and listen we don't know what the rest of the year i'm not saying this team's postseason whatever i i think let's not get caught up in that let's just see what game to game what this team does but i think this is a fun team to watch and you're watching a, a really special group of players and taylor hendricks in particular obviously is somebody that we'll be talking i think about for a long time but i hope that the fan base i know we're all caught up in who's in the portal and all that stuff but you know that's okay too like we could focus on a little bit of a basketball here it, it, the, you know there, there will be a, I, I will break news here there will be a football roster come spring i don't worry <laughs> Oh just my saying. gosh! What am I gonna? I got a plan now. I'm you know, saying. I remember uh, back last year during the Michigan game. I remember I said this on the night shift that we had after that game that this was that was a huge game for UCF men's basketball because that was its first big game after football kind of wound down. And I think that that this Ole Miss game almost kind of functioned in a similar manner, where football's the football season's kind of winding down, and now basketballs can start to take the main spotlight. And they just made a really big first impression in that main spotlight by defeating Ole Miss the way they did. I, yes, I would. I mean, but I think also we need to get that big home win going. I think once we get, once we get into conference play, Wichita State might be right for the, might be ripe on the 28th, but let's get through this Mizzou and then Stetson. Donnie Jones coming back into town. That's a pretty important game. So that becomes a pretty important game on Wednesday. By the way, the uh, Bally Sports Florida is going to televise the Mizzou game. It's not going to be any. 
Jeremy Tache will be on the sideline for that. That's right. That's right. That's UCF right. graduate Jeremy Tache. What's up, yeah, Jeremy? Um, uh, yeah. By the way, the three-point line, UCF's defense will be challenged. Kyle, you, met, you saw it with Sanford. You're going to see that with Stetson and Missouri. Three-point line. They need to move. Yeah. Yep. Got to switch. Switch, switch, switch. Women uh, last night. All right. Six and three right now, five and one at home, but uh, they, uh, well, let's, let's be honest with you. They, they, they got it from Tennessee last night, 99 to 64 in Thompson bowling up in, uh, up in Knoxville. And I think this is a situation where, um, you know, the, the women's team has lost three in a row now at Auburn home against Seton hall. That was a tough one. And then at Tennessee, I think it's kind of like, you know, reality kind of setting in a little bit here about how there's still some work to do with this team. But um, looking at the box score here from this game, um, Kyle, you know, Tennessee did what Tennessee does. Uh, but interestingly enough, after the Seton Hall game where she set a school record or tied a school record, was it for rebounds in a game? Destiny Thomas um, did not play against Tennessee. We haven't heard anything on that. She was dressed. She was on the sideline. Um but uh, we didn't see her against the Vols, despite the fact she pulled down 24 rebounds against Seton Hall yeah. the last time out. What did we see if we saw anything, not just about that, but from the game in general? Well, and, and you know, you, you talked about Tennessee doing what Tennessee does, Jeff. I would be remiss if I don't point out, like, at least in the first half of the game, it was relatively close. You know, th- this was a battle until yeah, UCF led in the first after the first. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So it, it wasn't like, I'll put it this way. The question I would ask is where did the bottom fall out exactly? But to even compete like that without destiny Thomas, who last year with Abe and company, you know, even say what you owe, but she had Brittany buckets and, and, you know, and, 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 um, and uh, uh, Mass Kaba and that that group, they were so great up front. Sure, but it was Destiny Thomas putting three, six three centers on their backs in that game. You know, the ones that were hurt for Tennessee last year were guards for for uh, a lot of the part. They had one or they had um, one injured post play, if I remember correctly. But Destiny Thomas was making great impacts in that game. To so to see her miss this one is is mind-boggling the only guess i could put out for the moment and i'm you know we're waiting for a word on what actually the reason was but the only thing i could put out for the moment is that there is some sort of a relatively minor injury and this team is already so shorthanded with uh, at least three players off the top of my head that are injured you know maybe um maybe coach messers trying to be like so i need destiny for later right <laughs> and, play the and, long game play the long game yeah correct and i think in this case, based on her answers after the Seton Hall game, acknowledging this stretch stretch that started with their first loss at Auburn, um, which Elo and I briefly went over last week, um, they the the team at large acknowledged this three game stretch is a tough one, and 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 you know if this is one of those where they're mostly going to try to get experiments and t- uh, experiments experience and trying to toughen this team up. And, well, maybe and that too. <laughs> maybe there is some experimentation. Yeah. Listen, one of the things that destiny Thomas told me after the Seton hall loss that what it, they are still might be doing in practice is looking through formations and, and, and different uh, groupings on the court. So they're still at that point. If, if, if the, the veteran player is still saying that they're going through different player groupings, different personnel, in addition to working on free throw shots and defense, that should tell you again, still identity forming 
And it's not necessarily the fault of these ladies that, that, that that's the case or, or that coach is doing a bad job. Injuries have forced this sort of uh, flexibility and adjustment to take place and trying to find your footings tough. Well, they no no better thing to do here than get a little bit of home cooking. And they are back home for a back-to-back uh, on December, on a Tuesday, uh, December 20th, they're facing Idaho state. And then they face Elon on uh, Wednesday. I just want to qu- quickly check the net rankings uh, here on uh, either of those teams. Idaho, you, Kyle. That's a busy week. Yeah. For you. I, yeah. Idaho state 175 in the net. And uh, I'll check on Elon in a second. It is not known by Elon Musk. I know that much no. um, 218 uh, for Elon, but um a little bit of a i mean let's be honest with you in terms of competition level a little bit of a lull in the schedule here to try and sort some things out even though it is a back-to-back well you hope you get healthy on and off the court right like you got to get some bodies back because kyle i mean you mentioned destiny they the one thing that's clear and even in the seton hall game there's not a lot around destiny thomas from a size standpoint when you're playing quality team that's what they used to have they don't have that Destiny, to your credit, you called this out last year. You said she would be a breakout player. She has been to this point. You hope that she's not out long when you get in, but, and have her ready to go for conference play. Because I think she could be the comeback, you know, the most improved player in the league and could be an all-conference performer at the level she's playing. But hopefully she stays healthy. I just, Kyle, I just don't see the depth there. And my concern is at times offensively, I feel like they're a little undisciplined. They kind of take some sh- quick shots. And when you don't have depth, I don't think this team could afford to play fast and have a lot of possessions with the, the roster situation the way it is. And, and listen, this isn't you making bad observations. The only the only offer, you're, you're saying you're not seeing the depth. I'm telling you, you are. They're missing that many starters. You well, that's know my point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's that same thing where I'm taking your question, but I'm just putting a different inflection on it. Yeah, no, you're seeing the depth. Like and, and you have Brianna Hardy uh, as, as a, as a power forward, um, because we all know Destiny's the center, right? I don't think anybody's arguing that. Uh, but uh, when you have Brianna Hardy as a true freshman starting at power forward, that should tell you everything. And this isn't me knocking her game, by the way. Hardy, for what she's been asked to do, was done relatively well. Another thing I think we're still trying to absorb uh, uh, watching this team is how much they love to shoot that ball. Man, listen, when they, they came out against Seton Hall, chucking it from the cheap seats and, when, seats, and when that wasn't landing, that's when they started feeding it down low. Taylor, got, Taylor Gibson got some shots after that. I thought they got back in the game because of that. That's my point exactly, Eric Lopez. Well done. So that's where I'm going is, is this team, this is, again, that identity piece. They're trying to find it early on. Putting up 33s and making 19 of them was something that would happen. Rachel Ranke was hot from the three-point arc. Uh, you know, Ashton Verholst was doing the same. Now, uh, and Layla Jewett, even her credit, has had big games firing from beyond the arc. But we're not seeing that as much anymore. Listen, live by the three, die by the three. We just talked about that too, right, Jeff? So with all that in mind, there are times where death from the three is happening if there's a three-point miss, you get Destiny, Thomas snagging the board, you get Rachel Ranky doing the same. But, you know, when you don't have Destiny in the game or she is boxing someone else out and someone and the rebound is caught somewhere else, you know, that's problematic. And, and let's give uh, also, let's give Taylor Gibson a little credit. She's still battling through a knee thing. I saw an ice pack on her after game 
on Sunday. So she's still battling through something, you know, it's man. Listen, you mentioned the depth. I tell you, the fact is the way that they competed against Seton hall, the way they made this game close for three, I'll call it two and a half quarters against Tennessee should tell you the depth is there. Imagine what Mm -hmm. if the starters were around and one more time, I have to say it, even the office staff, left with the previous coaching administration okay to see coach messer restock no forget restock reload this group like that is impressive to be in the middle of this conference is not a bad accomplishment your first year out having to restock the pantry yeah no doubt Uh, but uh as we go through this this back-to-back is going to be a little bit rough but then the schedule does kind of let up a little bit uh, Texas Southern on Thursday, December 29th, before they start conference play on the third. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is their, this is kind of their last chance to get healthy before conference play starts. So, yes, um, you should give the gift of health to this team. Yes. That's what I know that's what they need. All right. Last but not least, uh, as we finish up here, of course, you know, we talked about football, we talked about basketball, but a last word on volleyball, um, history this week. Uh, as McKenna Melville, whose uh, illustrious career at UCF came to an end um, this season, has been named to the AVCA's first team all um, uh, AVCA first team All American. She's the first player in UCF history to be a first team All American. Um, she finishes her career top ten all time in NCAA history in kills. Uh, in fact, I'm going through the list right now. She finishes eighth in total kills, regardless of era. Uh, second all time in the 25 point rally scoring era, only behind a player who she played against a few times, Jordan Thompson of uh, Cincinnati. Obviously, she rewrote single handedly UCF's uh, volleyball record book, um, including you know defensive numbers, of course. Um, and she gets named first team all America. Um, Bryson, you know, I want to start with you here because, you know, we've been following this on Mac watch the entire time and it's the perfect conclusion to a career that, uh, uh, the caliber of which we may never see again. I think so. And if we ever do, it's going to be a very long time before we do the fact that she was named first team all American, I think is sort of a credit to the uh, the achievements that she's been able to make her entire career because she actually if you notice she did the same thing that Jordan Thompson did where she went from being third team All-American in her second to last season to first team All-American in her final season after she made it into the top 10 all-time NCAA in kills so credit to the ABCA for giving McKenna Melville the recognition she deserved for a overall career that was simply amazing. That was simply amazing to see. We, we also. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, Eric, go ahead. Cause you know, I mean, you, you called her games, her matches this year. Um, and we saw firsthand, like, I, I thought it was, I think it was Carrie Zumach who said, you know, she's like our Michael Jordan out Michael there. Jordan. And I think in, in, in more ways than one, because like she really was the on floor coach and had tremendous expectations for her teammates. And she, she was a cultural player. Changed and helped change the program in a lot of ways. And, and I'm actually going to try to write a column about this on Black and Gold Banneret here coming up about her ranking all time. I think she's 
the greatest volleyball player ever. And I think she's one of the greatest athletes, female athletes of all time. You know, we've talked about Michelle Akers being number one. I think Michelle, I think McKenna Melville will skyrocket the list. I'm going to write about this, but she's, it's going to be like to the, you know, you've made a big land, uh, um, you know, imprint where this fall when UCF is on the court on the, in a volleyball match and she's not there, it's going to be weird because mm-hmm. it's all you know. She's just one of those. And there's a lot of people that don't like, don't follow the volleyball program, but know who she is. And because of that, they brought attention to the volleyball program. Uh, I think she's special in that regard on and off the court. Uh, Bryson can speak to the student side because she achieved an achievement that not many students can. But to me, she's the greatest volleyball player ever. I think I did a, a, a top 80 female athletes of all time, 2020. I ranked her 20th because of her number. I won't spoil it. I'm going to write this column, but I will mention this. Uh, she's moving she's, up. She's moving up. Sorry, McKenna, because McKenna <laughs> liked number 20. It's her favorite number. I got bad news for you, McKenna. You're, you're going to be a ranked a different number. Hopefully you like the number, but she's skyrocketed. Uh, and I'll never forget the Houston match. Jeff, you were there. Uh, yep. Bryce, you were there. It reminded me of the Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls against the Utah Jazz. Game 6, 98 finals. Where you know this could be it for her as far as her last home match at the venue, like Michael Jordan's last game. And it comes down to the fifth set, and it's you know you have to win the set or you lose the conference title. It's That's it, because that's one of the reasons she came back, to win mm-hmm. a fifth title. And it comes down against this your nemesis the last two years in Houston who have given her problems. They've been one of the great defensive teams. And she just helped them carry, get them over the hump in that fifth set in that environment. Didn't let them loose. Didn't let them lose. Refute, put them on her back. Uh, I think she had 29 kills, 10 digs. She almost ran over the, the the UCF bench. Um, (laughs) It was an iconic performance in her senior night. Uh, What a way to go out for her. Uh, in that memorable match. And to me, that's what I'm going to write about her. I thought Kari Zumak hit it dead on. I think she is the Michael Jordan of this program. And with respect to the Tyra Harpers, Renata Menchikova, uh, Jordan Pingle, Delena Sarton, if you want to, Jenny Frank, all awesome players. But they're not McKenna Melville. No. Guys, yeah, it's not often that I that I that I open this term out of the case and polish it up for use here. But let me tell you, the word you're looking for, iconic. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's an icon. Um, and and you're right, Eric. It's going to be weird not seeing her in, uh, in in a UCF uniform next year. And by the way, for those out there who might be splitting hairs about, well, she played five full seasons because of the COVID year. If you took the non-COVID years, all right, the sp- if you take out spring of 2021 and you add up her kill numbers, it comes out to 2,267 which would still be number one all time at UCF. Yeah, <laughs> me, yeah that's pretty good numbers, right? And by the way, she's third in digs all the time. She's not at all. Let me ask yeah. you this, Jeff. Retiring a number, I know that they do the ring of honor and all that. I feel like this should be an exception. I, I don't think anybody should wear 20. It just, it would just feel odd. Like it, it, like it's softball, right? Like when somebody, every time somebody wears number three, I'm like, that's Stephanie Bess's number. I wouldn't want to wear 20 next year. Right? After this. Like yeah. Ima- yeah. Imagine whoever has to, I don't know who it's going to be. If it's going to be like Ava armor or somebody comes in no, and wears and it's, 20. Right, right. It's like, I, it's, and I get it. You're let me tell you about who wore that Jersey before. Sure. <laughs> like there's already going to be enough questions about who's on the outside hitter and stuff like that. I just, Maybe somebody just try to avoid giving out that 20 number. I just feel like that number, if we're going to retire a number in volleyball, I feel like that number should be retired. Just say it. Well, I don't know. Go ahead, Kyle. 
Yeah, like if I'm playing for to 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 make it the the analogy, if I'm playing left tackle for the Jags, I don't want 77. Tony Paselli was there. Yeah. Why on earth would I want to put that pressure on myself? My my my, my analogy is Pete Myers. Okay. That's okay. A no, it's Chicago Bull reference. Michael Jordan. I like it. Right. You talk about Michael Jordan because Pete Myers was the starting two guard for the Bulls the year at the, when Jordan retired the first time. I was like, nobody wants to be Pete Myers because no matter how good you are, you're not that guy or girl, right? And it put and it puts unnecessary pressure on that player. In my opinion, I saw it firsthand in softball. When Allison Kime graduated, another player wore number 10. It was a pitcher the following year. So what happens? The fans make the instant comparison to Allison, which is unfair because you're not Allison Kime. And I, that's my concern. So, I, again, I don't make the decisions and all that. And I understand the it's not as simple as we're making this sound to. But if there is a way where nobody wears number 20, I would make the effort. That's all I'm saying. I'm pretty sure our points are rather simple, actually, Eric, not for yeah. nothing. <laughs> which brings us to the conclusion of our show um and uh, by the way thanks to drew Stapway drew on twitter for joining us here uh now next week okay a couple announcements that i want to make next week we're going to do a full preview of the bowl game all right um we are also going to we have a special christmas week present for you uh, at, uh which i don't want to give anything away just yet but uh We'll be cruising into the holidays, I think, is is what we'll be is what we'll be doing on this uh, on the show, the Black and Gold Banner podcast. And and Bryson is smiling because he knows what I'm talking about. Um, thanks, uh, as always, to you, our listeners, uh, for following us. Make sure you follow us at UCF Banner underscore SBN on Twitter. Follow us at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banner. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram. Thanks again um to uh to kyle the sotg for the student of the game thanks to eric eric lopez elo bryson's it's bryson turner um yeah and uh and make sure you follow us on all of our social media channels and subscribe to this podcast if you don't already if you do please tell a friend we really appreciate it and let us know when you have subscribed as well because we want to hear from you uh and if you ever have any questions for us you can always Send us your questions at uh, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. So for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the basketball. We preview the bowl coming up next. Enjoy, guys. Charge on. See you next week.